Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Bonfire, the tribe's community-driven podcast about active self-improvement, where we share personal experiences, life stories, and genuine advice to help you on your self-improvement journey. Our episodes are recorded live on the tribe's Discord, where you can find group projects to work on your skills, accountability partners, and a community to inspire you to reach your goals today. I'm your host today, AZ, and thank you for joining us. Our guest today will be Fletcher, leader of our fitness group, Iron Fangs, a group that you can join too if you're in the tribe. Let's get started. Fletcher, if you don't mind, could you introduce yourself for all the listeners at home? Yep, I'm Fletcher and I run the group Iron Fangs here at the tribe. It's just everything and anything about you know, working out recovering just bettering your body so fletcher let me start off by asking you some questions how did you get into the gym what inspired you to start working out what got me into the gym is really just the gym opening in such a close proximity to my house where i was finally able to go and i had the means to do so i was making a decent amount of money but going to the gym is something where you know, I've always wanted to do it. Um, and unfortunately, I just haven't had the opportunities to based on, you know, things being too far from me or just being too busy with school and stuff. But definitely when it opened up, you know, instantly signed up the second I heard about it, literally went in the same day to get like, a, I, know, I didn't even get a tour. I had a friend who went to the gym, make me a program. And I went in to ask for a test day. I just did my workout and I came back the next day. I'd got a haircut before and just signed up. Like that was it. Right. So you were excited to go your first time, right? Yeah. It's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, it, It must have been some sort of childhood dream. I don't know what I watched, but. It definitely resonated in a way where I knew it was something I wanted to be doing in the future. Yeah, I get that. I uh, had a similar thing myself with, uh, you know, Big Chin. I don't. <laughs> what are you on about? Okay. <laughs> what are you actually on about? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well, that's um, it's a really interesting way to start. I know most people, when they first want to get into the gym, it's um it's not really their wanting it's more of a necessity right it's a very small majority from whatever that generally just has a inspiration to work out so yeah i mean it's something i don't understand because some the other day was speaking about how a lot of the people who do go to the gym it's just a chore and it's just something they're doing because they know they're supposed to and for me it just like that whole idea makes zero sense because, you know, I've never like not enjoyed the gym. Like I've had difficult sets and exercises I despise, but I've never seen it as like a chore or something where I'm forcing myself to go there. It's always just a wonderful opportunity for me. Yeah, I completely get what you mean because I, uh, I think that's more a mindset difference though, right? If you have the mindset that the gym is a chore, it'll be a chore always, and you won't really fall in love with the process. But 
for people like you that are a little more advanced to get there, you usually have to start loving the process, right? Because otherwise you're not going to be able to push yourself. Yeah, for sure. And, and so the first workout plan you got, how did you start evolving off of that? How would you recommend other people to kind of know that they need to change their workouts? Oh, my first workout plan sucked, man. It was so, <laughs> it was so bad. But I think when you start, the only thing that matters is that you're going. And although there are bad plans, and the one I was on was, you know, definitely horrible. It had like 20 sets per body part per day or something. But, you know, even, even as bad as it was, um, it got me there. And even with that amount of volume, I had like a ton of fun. And if anything, even though I had flaws, it built really, really like good work capacity for me where I was able to handle that volume. And it wouldn't have been great, but improving work capacity is, you know, always going to be useful. But yeah, improving that first workout plan kind of comes through, you know, something like the workout review <laughs> channel, you know, in, in the tribe group for Iron Fangs or having friends who know a bit more than you do or even just taking it on your own to go out and start learning a bit more to slowly you know improve the exercises but definitely having someone else who's gone through it and made a ton of mistakes where you know they've learned from their mistakes so you can learn from theirs is probably gonna be the best way all right yeah i uh, i love the plug you did there in the middle either way and for... that wasn't a plug that was just genuine <laughs> very subtle yeah i mean of course it's a it's a tribe everything so then most people when they start the gym right they they have the workout plan and then the second thing naturally is is nutrition right nutrition and rest and so i want to ask you how much do you think somebody that is like how do you think a beginner in the gym should worry about diets and macronutrients and all of that, right? Or should they just focus on getting the necessary rest and recovery? What do you think about that? Because I've seen a lot of beginners in the gym kind of stress themselves out and go down the path where they just dive into, say, extremely hard bulk, eating 6,000 calories or something exaggerated like that. And they get burnt out from that very quickly. So how do you think that beginners should manage their diet and macronutrients for optimal growth? I think as a beginner, diet is something you obviously have to consider and work on. But I think for the first few weeks, you're not trying to, to guess your calories and to go into like a huge surplus or a huge deficit if you're, if you're overweight. What you really need to be doing is you should be tracking what you're currently eating to work out what your baseline is. Because if you're not gaining weight, eating 2.7 calories a day, it doesn't matter what a body weight calculator is going to tell you. Like if it tells you, oh, you know, you burn this much, this is how much you need to eat to bulk. It might not be true. You know, there are variances based on individual metabolism or the amount you walk in a day and the amount you fidget. And one of the worst things you can do is guess a bulk without even using like a calculator and, you know, hopping into that like 4K uh, territory or just 
preemptively entering a bulk without any idea of your your calories even when calculators are like added because as great as they are they're not perfect and there's gonna be a lot of um errors there but as a beginner the only thing you really need to worry about when it comes to your diet is getting enough protein getting enough calories and then over time hopefully you're gonna learn a bit more about nutrition a bit more about how to cook or you know how much fat you should be eating or maybe the micronutrients and you can slowly but surely start to improve the rest of your diet whilst you're improving your workout itself you know, there's always a kind of yin yang where you're either limited by your workout or you're limited by your nutrition and going kind of like full speed into one of the two isn't going to get the results you want yeah you always got to have that investment into both equally almost right otherwise yeah. you won't really be able to get as much out of either if you're not getting all you can out of both so then i got a question on that too avoiding okay i've you know how we always hear that there is a ton of like bpi i think it is um microplastics and harmful chemicals and what are what are some of the things that a beginner or an intermediate in fitness should really avoid in their diet right and what are some examples of foods that contain those things as a beginner the only thing you need to worry about when it comes to excluding things is excluding anything unhealthy uh, you know junk food sugary goods um especially the things that you know you're kind of addicted to like I, I really love maple, pecan, like pastries, because those two combinations of flavors are just, you know, they're to die for. But the problem yeah. is, if I let into my urges, I'd have like two of them a day. And they're probably not that healthy. But as a beginner, that's the sort of thing you need to worry about limiting. When it comes to limiting microplastics or um, pesticides, or you know hormones within food, and you know improving overall food quality. That is very long term, just because the benefits are quite negligible. But it's also something where you only do that when you have the money, when you have a ton of extra money, <laughs> where you can, mm. you know, put more into your food. If you don't have that yet, you're just wasting money that could be better utilized for building a project or building a business, or as lame as it is, even becoming like an investment bro and getting like 7% a year in an index fund. Like, that's, that's not, when you don't have the money, there's no point optimizing stuff like that because it's not going to affect your life as much as having more money and being able to affect it at a larger magnitude. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they start off, they they're kind of confused almost and in their confusion they just wander around the kind of diet space and just look at a bunch of supplements and stuff and then they start buying those and it's like you're 17 you're using your entire allowance on supplements like it's not it's not a priority you're gonna grow either way if you're just starting off and so definitely agree that there's better things to focus on at least when you're starting well, the problem is because it's kind of fear. Like when people are getting taught, 
when they first enter the space, they come in with the kind of the fear teachings of you have low testosterone or, you know, you don't get enough protein. And then it'll be like, you can buy this mass gainer, you can buy this protein powder, you can buy these, these pills, which will like give you more testosterone and very, <laughs> only a few of those will actually make a difference where it's worth buying. But even something like protein powder, I think a lot of these guys can just get enough food from like their mum's cooking, like realistically, <laughs> or like get her to like buy an extra um, box of chicken to cook up. I, I don't think you have to go straight to protein powder when protein is one of the most expensive macronutrient, but it's also something which you can overshoot it really easily. Like a lot of people have too much protein, not, not too much in a bad way, but they're going above a point where it's actually making a difference. I mean, there's like a, there's an asterisk there too, right? Because some people might hear that and take it as like, Oh, you don't have to worry too much about what you're eating. Like you, you still gotta be getting your protein in, right? What Flitch is trying to say is just there's uh, usually for most people not much of a need to actually go full in on protein powder, for example, which, for example, for where I was living, protein powder costed more than steroids, actually. So that was a uh, that was a very interesting thing. Either way, though, I, uh, I, I like the way you put that because Again, many people focus a lot on that when it's usually enough, right? Yeah. A real problem with protein powder too is I've stopped recommending this to people now. Um, like as a whole, I only recommend specific protein powder brands purely because a majority of protein powder brands, um, they're not third party tested, which basically means they're not letting like another organization make sure that it's good quality protein they're providing. And so a lot of companies will pretty much, um, so how like standard, how they, how they tend to work out protein content is they'll count the nitrogen inside, um, inside like the protein powder for like given X amount because amino acids give off nitrogen. But what companies can do is they can spike their goods with like useless amino acids, which aren't gonna build muscles and like, you know, super useless, super, super cheap, just to make their profit margins higher and pretend they're giving you like a ton of this protein when in reality you're missing out just because they're throwing it in to trick you. Um, so yeah, like that, that's another thing you have to kind of work out what's actually the good protein powder brands, you know, which ones are third party tested so that I'm actually getting 25 grams of protein for my 25 grams of protein. Right. And even then, isn't protein powder a less effective way to get protein? I've heard that, for example, for beef, right? 30 grams of beef protein, you extract that, until, and you get like 22 grams out of that and say 25 grams of whey protein powder. I've, 
I don't remember what study it was, but I read a study and it was like, you only receive like 18, 17 grams of that, or as low as 12 for some people. Uh, whey, whey protein is like the highest up when it comes to protein digestibility. Um, like it's higher than beef. It's kind of uh, milk-based proteins and egg-based proteins are like the kind of two best. Right. Got you, got you. Yeah, I um, I was wondering too. Then, protein powder is the most popular supplement. But what do you think of aminos supplements? Like, um, what is that? What's that really popular one? It's like amino. BCA no EAAs no BCAAs. Yeah, BCAAs. That that one, right? The only reason it's not like you... top of my head because I think it's rubbish. <laughs> like, it's such <laughs> a it's such a scam where. They basically, they do studies in protein deficient individuals and they detect that, like, I think it's three or four amino acids are the best for muscle growth. Um, the thing is, that only matters if you're protein deficient and buying BCAAs, which is spending money, <laughs> when you can spend money on like actual protein, which is, you know, just a complete protein. Um, having your protein needs matched will just kind of make the entire supplement redundant. That's exactly what I've heard, actually. Hmm. So then we, we're just going back to the... It's optional, right? Like, real food is still the main thing you should be going for instead of spicing your, or doping yourself up on these powders and amino pills and, you know, all of that. Yeah. I mean, only real supplement unless um, you just for some whatever reason, like you can't get enough protein in your, in your diet <laughs> where you need to get protein powder, which is super, super rare. But I guess if you have one of those like parents who just, they cook like just carb meals and there's zero protein whatsoever. If you have a family like that, and even when you buy your own protein, you're just not able to like match it or a, a shake can be like pretty easy. But the only real supplement someone should consider is just creatine. Like until there's more money you can throw at your diet, that's the only thing that's going to make a noticeable difference. What about fish oil? Uh, fish oil is okay, but kind of like similar to, I put in the same area of like zinc, magnesium, vitamin D3, where it's like the kind of the next stage of supplements you buy. Um, you could just eat like fish every now and then and you'd get like a similar <laughs> effect. But of course, having those like omegas daily is going to be better for your, your like organ health than, you know, once or twice a week. All right. Yeah, I'm asking that because I have, uh, I keep buying this fish oil and actually uh, one interesting thing on that though, I've heard that fish oil can actually be cancerous or lead to heart problems what is the condition around that right because i've also heard that that can happen but only if it's nearly expired or old fish oil and so you, you got to be very careful with the quality that you get to not get those health problems um i'm not entirely sure about the uh like in general but 
close to the expiration date. That definitely sounds like a possibility. The main issue you can get when it comes to fish oil is a bad ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. Um, when it's in favor of board to like what's preferred, it's gonna lead to like increased risks of, you know, whatever. But for the most part, supplements sold will be done in like a ratio which is healthy and like optimal for the body. And then you just have to make sure it's not expired. <laughs> so um yeah, they both have like fairly easy workarounds. All right. And I got a question on that, actually. What do you think of like expired protein powder? Because we had somebody in the tribe who kept insisting that they could just like they'd found this tub of expired half a year old protein or something. And uh, they just kept taking it. <laughs> what do you do you think that's even healthy? What? <laughs> Give me a minute to think about that. Um... <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the most healthy thing, but it's just like, is it worth the risk? And what do you have any idea if there is any risk there? I think, for one, just because it's expired. Well, you know, you kind of have to like work out how bad it is at first. Um, there are a few tests you can do with protein powder. You know, anything from like how well it mixes to an odd taste or an odd smell. You know extreme clumpiness <laughs> like within the tub um you kind of have to like gauge how bad it is because you know the expiration or the best buy used by date isn't always the same as when it actually expires i mean right. um you know i've had milk before which has lasted like 30 days past the best <laughs> best before that I just keep using it because <laughs> uh you know until it spoils it's fine you know those are just guidelines but if you're having something where you're like, oh, it might be expired, but I don't really care. I'm just going to keep using it. Um, you know, again, the protein breaking down itself, like into smaller like parts of those amino acids is not going to be the same as like regular protein. Uh, if you ever get digestive issues from consuming it, you just stop immediately. Like if you're bloating or you're gassy or getting diarrhea, maybe even vomiting, like that's a clear sign that your body does not like it. Um, <laughs> it being smelly or tasting weird, again, just, just chuck it away. All right. So in summary, if it's funky or <laughs> makes you throw up, don't take any more of it. Otherwise, you're yeah. good to go. But if if it's like if it's the thing I mentioned about it being like clumpy or not mixing well, I would I would log it as like ninety percent of the protein it's supposed to be, just because yeah. you know it, it's probably not going to be like a hundred percent what it's supposed to. So it's like a, right. a small tax almost <laughs> the protein. <laughs> Yeah, I bought this. The first protein powder I ever bought, it was, um, I I only made ice creams out of it, right? Because it would never dissolve. And it tasted kind of funny too, but it would never dissolve. So what I did was I would just make sweets out of it, like yogurt and such, and put those cool. in the freezer. And that was it. The first one I had was a, um, a mass gainer shake. <laughs> and it required like four scoops and you'd put it into 
a cup, which just, you know, <laughs> the volume needed to mix it properly was so I anyway, um, non people who aren't in, you know, the tribe won't be able to see it. But because these are recorded live, I can like throw images around. Um, I just sent an image of, <laughs> of what I used to drink. And that was like as well as it could mix. There's kind of powder at the top and you'd have to like eat it kind of. But <laughs> that was what I was having for my uh, my first like year of training. Am I weird for thinking that looks delicious? It is not. <laughs> it is not. It's <laughs> awful. It's kind of like Nesquik, but if you dreaded it. Like <laughs> the cursed unholy Nesquik. You know, I've been toying with the idea of putting protein powder in my coffee. What do you think about that? I think that's fine. It's a bit weird. Yeah. I don't I don't get why you would do it. Um are we talking like <laughs> cappuccinos here or are we talking like a latte? We're talking like cappuccinos, right? That is how much are you putting in? Is it like a teaspoon? <laughs> no, no, like a, like the whole thing and I just drink a big glass of coffee, right? But why? See, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm I'm just too lazy to fill up another cup. Okay, that's fine then. I mean, it, yeah. it's strange. It's wrong, probably, but it's not gonna be. <laughs> it's not gonna like make the protein any worse. All right. So you're literally first. You can put your protein powder in your coffee, cappuccino protein, right? The best thing to put in your coffee is going to be creatine just because um, it will like it will mix it together better um, and it will also cause less stomach discomfort. That's interesting. Although All right. not many suffer from stomach discomfort with it. So that's another yeah. issue. I want to go back to stomach, wait, sorry, stomach discomfort from creatine? Yeah, some do. Really? Yep. I thought you meant co- I thought you meant the coffee was the source of it. I mean, coffee is an obvious one, but <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, creatine. Some people it just it absorbs poorly, and it it causes like cramping or or bloating. Uh, so you have to right. like you know mix it with hot water to improve absorption, or maybe uh, have it with like some food and stuff. It's like a you know a couple of workarounds. Yeah, I got you. That's interesting. It's like we are. I mean, I wonder if that is caused by the quality of the creatine too, because I've had the creatines that I've always taken. I've, except for this one that bloated me, uh, they've always just given no effect. Just tasted kind of funny because uh, I would mix them in a very small cup, right? Just to get it over mm-hmm. with quickly. Oh, I think everyone does that, but I'm sure you've noticed. Sometimes creatine mixes better than others. Like usually you have a little bit left in the cup and you have to add like a bit more water to, to like switch yeah, it around yeah. again. But um every now and then you'll get a creatine where it will leave like mini clumps in the bottom. You know, that sort of quality is probably gonna be harder to digest or absorb, I guess. Yeah. And on that topic again. For for coffee, actually, what do you think of caffeine pills as pre-workout? Oh, I think they're probably going to be the best pre-workout for a majority of people. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee is good. 
like having coffee before a workout, but you have no standardization of the caffeine you're getting from like the, the drink. Because one day, right. like let's say on average, it's like 200 mg. Uh, one day it could be 50, one day it could from be... From a cup? Yeah, maybe it's 100. Um, what kind of double, cups of coffee are you drinking? Like a double cappuccino. Brother, fair enough, but I... Oh, that, that's one cups. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so like, let's say 120 on average. You know, one day it could be 60, one day it could be 180. Like, there is variance just because of how the beans are blending. So... All right. Um, just to kind of like standardize it, so your body's kind of getting the same thing linked to that workout. Caffeine pills can be super good, but also it is easier to get like two hundred or three hundred, um, which would probably be better for a workout. And then you know, like obviously, you don't have more than that if it's like six p.m. <laughs> obviously, you have to play your caffeine around time frames, but it's definitely uh, yeah. Doing 90% of the work in a pre-workout. All right, got you. But what about those other supplements in the pre, right? Uh, there's, I mean, of course, it depends what pre you're taking, but a lot of them are meant to give caffeine-like effects or, you know, muscle-gaining effects slash pump, right? I mean, the ones with SARMs in them, that, let's not even talk about those, I right? Those SARMs? Have you not heard of those? Um, I haven't seen the ones with Psalms in, but I have seen the really? ones with like dangerous Russian nootropics in. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, let me just pop a Molly to go to the gym. You heard of Mike Mensah? No, who is it? He's like a he's this uh, bodybuilder, and he's like the only guy to to score a perfect score. Yeah, like I think it was the Mister Universe. Um. He used to take meth as a pre-workout. Because, oh, <laughs> because, oh, DMMA, right? No, meth. <laughs> he didn't take that. He took just meth, meth because <laughs> he was so dedicated to his gains that that was his pre-workout. <laughs> what do you think of DMMA then? I think it's really stupid <laughs> because of the risks involved and also the lack of longevity. Like you're not going to be able to take it every single workout. Like you're not even able to take caffeine every single workout. You know, you have to deload from it every three weeks or so. But that is like, I don't know, it's like the equivalent is kind of like smoking a bunch of weed and then doing a job where you have to <laughs> stay awake and alert. Like that's kind of like, it's <laughs> like, I don't know, that's the best comparison I can have. Whereas like, it's simulating, it's like such a big stimulant where you're just gonna die <laughs> from doing a few reps of squats and then your heart rate is already so increased that the combination of the two just makes your heart give out. Right, so if you want a heart attack, take DMMA or DMA. Mm -hmm. Nice. PR or so, ER. <laughs> See. I loved that phrase until it ended up uh, being ER. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> what do you mean? What did you ER. do? <laughs> drop, the, drop the bar on your head or something? Listen, let's just say I, I found out the wrong way. I'm not able to bench up, 
100 kilograms. Uh, uh, I'm not able to bench 220. So long as you can uh, do the, the pelican curl, then it's the, good. The pelican curl? It's a calisthenics move. It's like a really difficult bicep move. Oh, wait. I've got an idea. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and ask a viewer question here, actually. Is music... How do you think people should manage music in the gym? Is it a distraction? Is it how often should you use it? Because me personally, actually, I've uh, realized that I am, if I use music too much, every gym session, for example, after maybe a week only, I start to, it just doesn't hit anymore. And when I'm without it, without it, I'm even less motivated. And so uh, the only thing that keeps me going at that point is just dedication. But I've realized that it has a potent effect on me for maybe a week. And before that's a negative effect, right? So what do you think of music while working out? I love it, man. I think it helps you get dialed in. It helps you get in the zone. And definitely listen to like some of your favorite songs can really, really help. Um, and I guess if you do run, like you kind of mentioned it too, is when you're working out without anything else, your body is already being like flooded with dopamine. You know, every single rep is such an achievement where you're just getting that rush of dopamine. You know, every grindy rep you like mm -hmm. complete, you're like, man, you know, I've smashed it. Let's say we combine that with some pre-workout, you know, have some caffeine, which is upping your dopamine. And then you're also listening to music, your favorite songs, which again, like up your dopamine, you have so much of it compressed in such like a short time of your day where if the rest of your day is kind of dopamine free, um, you're like concentrating your daily dopamine into one portion of your day, which isn't healthy, especially as if you're not working out every single day, the days where you're not going to the gym and you can't have that like concentrated hit are going to leave you just depressed basically or like longing to go to the gym <laughs> um but i wouldn't say music's bad uh every now and then just play some songs you hate or something you know like <laughs> learn discipline through listening to i mean like i guess the gym has music for you which is like that you know that good old crab ray oh my god the gym music but <laughs> many people get lonely in the gym right it can be it can be fun right alone you know you're raving out between sets maybe you're you have that your favorite music going maybe it's some uh hello barbie girl shit right but it can get lonely and at least from my experience getting your friends into the gym if you have friends is a uh, it's kind of tough. So what do you do if none of your friends want to go with you to the gym? Well, I think what most of the guys don't realize is being the only one in your gym, where it's kind of just you and you have no friends, is genuinely the biggest blessing you could ever have. Because being able to work with like, without anyone bothering you and kind of remaining in solitude, so that you're always dialed in and focused is a luxury which the second you lose it, you realize you wish you didn't. But still, it can be good to have like a friend, you know, someone to like wave to, 
talk to every now and then and someone to use to kind of push each other further. I mean, if you yeah. take a look at like Ronnie Coleman and Jay Cutler, I don't think either of them would have got to the peak they did without the competition that they gave each other. But purely because there was like there was that competition, that, that kind of friendship, they were able to keep improving and improving year after year. So, like, you know, if you want a friend, literally just ask to work in with someone, like go to the gym, pick an exercise which is packed and like you can't do it on anything else. Find someone your age. I don't care if it's like leg day and you have to like bench or stop like someone, you know, or the opposite, but just go up to someone who you think you could be friends with and ask to work in. Um, and then try and drop like a few words now and then. And hopefully you can form a friendship from it. If you don't, then luckily, you know, this isn't like the only other guy in your gym. So <laughs> you should be able to attempt it a couple of times with a few other guys. But once you've worked in with someone at least once, you know, you're going to be able to like wave to them every now and then when you see each other. And even that alone makes you feel a bit less alone. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, from my experience, most guys, they go to the gym and anybody, honestly, even girls at the gym, they're all so, they're all generally so lonely that anybody's going to be happy to really just work in with you or interact with you. And it generally does brighten some people's days to just be able to have someone at the gym to say hi to every morning, right? When I, I've, uh, I've had that experience when I first started going to the gym, I made it a point to say hi to every single person that I knew at the gym. Right. And, uh, it was a small gym. So yeah. And that wasn't too difficult, but either way, I, I got a question on stretching actually, and kind of relief after, after the gym itself. Right. Like does stretching matter? And when should you stretch? This is a, is a hard one because I like giving definitives and my definitive here is no, but of course there's a lot more nuance and subtext to it. Kind of why I view it as not mattering is because the way people see stretching as just you know, running like a yoga routine or doing like a few like bend forwards or something to lengthen hamstrings. And I think it's so much more complex than that because the whole mechanism of stretching and kind of improving your flexibility over time comes from a place where your body, your body can lengthen the muscle as much as it wants. Like there's, there's actually nothing stopping it from. The only reason you're not able to kind of move into that range is because your central nervous system understands that you're not strong in that area. And if you go towards it, you kind of run injury risk. And so what it does is it creates these like invisible barriers to prevent you from getting to that place. And when you stretch, all you're doing is temporarily telling your body, you know, I'm able to enter this range. And then for a while it will let you enter it. But I don't know if you've like stretched for like a long period of time, the second you stop, your flexibility kind of disappears and it's something where you make such gradual progress on it over time 
the thing that kind of stays purely because of this mechanism of protecting you from a range or weekend is well the first thing i'll talk about is improving mobility and that's basically just doing uh, any movement within your active range so if you did something like an rdl or a good morning pretty much just all hip hinges will kind of cover it when you're sticking to your active range you're building strength through it and over time you'll be able to you know move further and further down whilst it kind of remaining your active range you know similar for if you're like bench pressing or doing like a shoulder press similar sort of mechanisms are going to be in place but if someone really really wants to kind of jump start that progress in stretching a weighted stretch where they're not using a ton of weight where it's like <laughs> you know you're going to failure with it and you're having to grind but a weight which provides a resistance against you whilst working that muscle like uh you know stuff like sitting on a bench by a cable machine allowing it to pull your body forward and then stretching back up or you know a, a pancake stretch with a cable things like that will end up improving hamstring and lower back mobility and also flexibility over time much better than like a hip hinge would but i truly don't think it matters because these things they're kind of like irrelevant unless you're an athlete your flexibility isn't something you need to consider as something that needs to be improved but you know, there's there's nothing that hurts stretching <laughs> or or even doing like a weighted stretch um if you have these long-term goals so like the the one stretch the two stretches i would do is uh, a calf stretch to improve my dorsiflexion just so i can lengthen my quads better in like uh in squat movements and then i'll do something where i kind of lay on a foam roller and i try and extend my mid back as much as possible to to stretch out the spine there both of those not necessary just linked to goals i personally have do you recommend dead hands i think they're pretty good um yeah not only will they kind of build like passive strength just through the static holds but yeah they're stretching out a lot of like muscles that are rarely being stretched but i think the best way to kind of handle these things are if you're doing sort of back movement you know you should be letting your shoulders round forward so that they kind of stretch out your back or you know you should be maximizing the stretch um so long as you're sticking to that sort of you know active range yeah i got you so then yeah I, i'm a huge fan of dead hangs that's why i asked that and i think everybody should do them actually they've increased my grip strength astronomically and i think they're the reason why i'm able to do a lot of glass hang skills actually mm -hmm. either way what with i got a question about rdls then what why would somebody do an rdl and not just a deadlift so a deadlift is kind of two movements you start with kind of like leg pressing the weight up and then you get to a point where you hip hinge 
like the weight forward. Yeah. And because we're combining these two movements, it just becomes super inefficient. You know, the, the weight we can do in one portion of the movement isn't the same we can do in the rest. And typically we can hip hinge a lot more than we can like take off the ground. I know that kind of sounds like confusing because you like RDL more than, I mean, less than you deadlift, but that's mainly because you're constantly holding it. And, you know, it, there's constant tension instead of there being that kind of drop at the end. Right. And then RDLs are a lot more focused movements then. Yeah, that's going to be, you know, the only tissues that's going to be working for any sort of range is going to be the hamstrings and the glutes. And then of course, like, you know, there's going to be some muscles used to like stabilize the rest of your body, but you're no longer yeah. utilizing like the quads to, <laughs> to pick the weight up from the first portion. Mm-hmm. All right. But that's a good explanation. Actually, I, you explained it way better than I could. Let's see. Then we've been talking a lot about the actual workouts, but what is as important as the workouts themselves and nutrition is the rest that you're getting right. And so what is, what is your, your philosophy on rest days, right? What do you think of rest? Oh man, rest is so important. Like, I think it's kind of the basis of everything. Because if you're not sleeping enough, I don't think it's worth going to the gym. <laughs> there's like a, there's a range, of course. Uh, it doesn't have to be optimal sleep, but if you're genuinely not sleeping enough, then adding the fatigue of going to the gym isn't gonna like lead to improvements. It's gonna lead to more destruction. You know, you're destroying your body for what? Like nothing's coming out of it. But on rest days you have so many options of what you're able to do because you have recovery methods like cold showers or um like you know ems therapy where you're shocking your muscles to improve blood flow and stuff Uh, you have stuff like that or you know just sitting around and relaxing your body then you have active recovery which is you know doing things like going on a walk or doing some like zone one zone two cardio where you're you're using your muscles you're kind of you're removing some of the the mess that's built you know being built up on it like some of the lactic acid or some of just the the other rubbish that's been like left behind as a result of your strength training and you're bringing more blood flow and something like that even though it's a rest day you know, small things are going to lead to to better results. Even something like going in the gym and doing 30% of your usual load and then just doing some, like, conditioning work with it, that's going to, like, provide you with better recovery than sitting at home. So, you know, lots of tools we can use, and it's just for people to explore and figure out on their own. Right, yeah. And of those tools, what are the what are the main ones that you would recommend for, say, a beginner who is just wanting to optimize a little more, you know, not wanting to waste any time, right? And what do you think would be the kind of fundamentals of rest, right? Let's put that. As a beginner, the fatigue is so low just because you're not using much weight where you're hmm. able to just go on for a run like the day after. 
And I think if you start going for a run on your rest days or, you know, a long walk or swimming or cycling, if you start doing these things where you're very easily able to recover from your session, when you continue further into your journey, it's going to become even easier to do those sort of things. And, you know, your overall like cardiovascular system, your recovery will be so much more enhanced just from having these like additional factors involved. So the kind of the core of rest days is just not overworking yourself, not overstressing yourself, but then having some sort of active movement you're doing to to lead to better recovery overall. Right. Yeah, I've I've definitely experienced that myself. Actually, active rest is a hundred times more effective than just sitting on your ass, maybe watching TikTok or YouTube or something. Right. I've, yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's what got me started on cardio. Actually, it's just the entire. I was uh, when I first started working out. I would do calisthenics, right? And I was my body was not capable of keeping up with like how much i was working out at the time not even for the first three months or so even if it when it started getting used to it and so the thing that changed all of that was uh one of my friends that was like so you're let me get this straight you work out and you destroy your body for like eight hours for like three hours and then you get home eight and hours? spend the next <laughs> Listen, uh, three hours, right? And then you get home and you spend the entire afternoon watching anime, right? <laughs> like, uh, why, you know, go for a run or something, get off your ass, right? And so that's what convinced me. And I started to realize for him, firsthand that I just straight up, while he was saying it, trying to roast me, uh, it did actually help, right? It helps way more than you could probably think to just be active even on your rest days. And some cardio is perfect for that. Yeah, man. Yeah. So then on that, do you think people should avoid cardio if they're kind of trying to bulk, for example? Or how do you think people should balance cardio? Because there's always that myth that is like, cardio is killing your gains, bruh. You know, that classic gym bro myth. So what do you think of that? I don't think people understand like the whole concept of cardio ruining your gains because people usually say it from the aspect of, oh, it's going to cause muscle damage even though the muscle damage is like so minimal and so easily to recover from where it doesn't matter. But the second point, which is somewhat more valid that people bring up, and I think it's almost a cope after someone's disproven the fact that they're not going to lose all their muscle mass just from like spitting on a bike or like going for a run. It's the whole thing of, you know, but it's going to burn calories. And it's like, I did a 20 minute cycles a day. I burned I think it was 186 calories. That is literally something where I have to eat just a little bit more <laughs> to get those calories back and remain in my surplus. I don't think doing a little bit of cardio is really going to be the thing that stops you from bulking. And anyone who thinks that is just avoiding one of the things which allows for such better overall recoverability just through 
these muscles kind of having like a bit more endurance and the entire like blood flow of your body being super super optimized like if you compare the vessels like the blood vessels of someone who does a ton of cardio and someone who doesn't there's entire like new pathways that have been built in these individuals just because their body is finding the most efficient ways to deliver blood to these areas and if you have like a heart rate tracker and you start incorporating cardio in you will see your resting heart rate drop and drop and drop and you will also see your heart rate variability which is like the difference between your highest bpm and lowest bpm that will start to climb and climb and climb purely because you're so efficient at delivering blood flow where when you're doing nothing your heart just has like zero struggle <laughs> it's, it's just like it's just chilling i mean your heart is muscle too so at the end of the day it's training that as well right yeah 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 man i i think also people get intimidated by the fact that cardio is a lot of the time you don't get a straight pump from cardio right mm-hmm from like cars cars on the bike man they go crazy (laughs) on the bike yeah the bike's like the lazy bodybuilder one because you just couldn't like watch some stuff watch some youtube or Um, something wait what kind of what kind of biking are you doing my cars are super small and i I biked like well um the first cardio i did was uh was biking right and i was biking for 13 kilometers a day almost right it was actually so much at some point and so but my calves stayed so small bro my quads <laughs> got huge i was bro i i didn't train legs for for a very long time right and when i first trained legs after like a month i was like pressing 500 pounds right or that's like 235 kilograms but my calves were this, just nothing i could <laughs> To tell you just how bad that was, I couldn't calf lift more than calf lift twenty kilograms, thirty kilograms. I don't, I don't know what that's called, but yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I don't personally contribute any growth of my calves to like cycling, but when it does come to cycling, the thing that's probably going to actually build big calves, like if you've seen a lot of the cyclists, a few of them actually do have like gigantic calves. That's usually just to like, you know, the fact that they're pumped up and they're super lean. But the thing that will actually like build them somewhat passively is a ton of resistance. You know how you could like on the machines, you can up it from like one to 20 or something. When you go on that higher setting, the amount of resistance you're getting from like each push is going to be a lot higher. Right. Got you, man. Yeah. I... I think it's definitely the way to go about it, especially calves can be frustrating to train sometimes, especially since they're such a, uh, they're like forearms, right? Where it, it's, it's not a big fancy muscle. It's just small movements, right? It's not as a, it's not as sexy of a movement to put in. Oh, uh, I, I love calves. Favorite movement. Really? Yeah. It's so easy. Really? Yeah, man. Huh. This is uh, four weeks back. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Oh, 
Your calves are nasty. Big ankles too. I've got those like ankle ankles, but it's just it's just tissue and there's no fat. I don't know. It's it's interesting. <laughs> you also have huge bones though. That's a that's a separate question actually I want to ask. Do you have what do you have to say about optimizing bone growth while working out? Because everybody always thinks of muscle, but there are a lot of benefits towards not just your muscles, but even your bones growing while you're working out. So what do you think of that? I think that's something that's just going to happen because when you're doing these movements, especially those compounds, you're putting a ton of stress onto your entire like skeletal muscular system. So, you know, your bones are going to take a portion of that force. And of course the bones are super strong, but if you, if you've had like a, a body weight scale, which could somewhat detect like your composition, you'll start to notice the, the like bone mineral density figure will slowly go up and up and up across your journey. And that's going to be, you know, just because of the sheer force being put onto these things. Same with your joints. Like, uh, you can hypertrophy your actual knee, like your knee can grow in size just through doing movements in such a way where you know you're like prioritizing like knee flexion and you're you're making sure the sheer force going into this joint is something which is sustainable and something that the joint can handle but something that is also going to promote you know <laughs> getting bigger and getting stronger yeah i uh i've definitely experienced that especially with my knees as you were mentioning you know yeah I've, when I first started working out, my knees would always click and clack and, and it was like they kept hurting after workouts and I was making sure that I was doing the right form and everything. But after a few months, I generally felt them getting stronger and more, more mobile too, actually. Right. I, I used to be very, very heavy on my feet. Now I've, I'm able to move around a lot better in general. I think that's definitely a benefit we don't talk about enough with working out. It's just, being able to strengthen your or your bone in general right yeah i've definitely had issues with for example caffeine when i would work out steadily at night right now i don't work out with any supplements or anything uh, around my workout at least because i realized it was interfering with my rest and uh, that was getting in the way of everything and so yeah, but a, a question related to that then, many people work out in the morning and they experience a energy boost or like a, like a very, very good boost for the rest of their day due to that, where they're able to feel more active and their body has already been warmed up. Do you think that maybe that is due to the, the movement itself early on and that people are losing out on that working out later in the day? I think that sort of effect is probably going to be something which is is more so from from like cardio just because of the endorphins not that you don't get endorphins from weight training i just feel that someone who's weight training intensely after a workout you are absolutely shattered like you're messaging a friend and it makes absolutely no sense it's all gibberish and you're using the wrong there and the wrong your and you know you're just messing everything up because there is so much like mental fatigue from the absolute level you went to 
And so after a session like that, potentially the only way to recover from it and make it recoverable where your energy levels throughout the rest of the day are going to be decent is to have like, you know, some non-sleep deep rest or, or something like that. But again, it's just something where, you know, everyone individually is probably going to have a different response to this. If someone's cardio is super, super great or their work capacity is super high, that workout isn't going to hit them as much as it is someone who has like, you know, terribly unfit. They don't play any sports, never have. And, you know, maybe they're a bit overweight and this thing is like very, very challenging, very taxing. So, you know, there's, there's like so many factors involved, which is why it's kind of just encouraged to, to mix and match every now and then to pull these levers and work out what works best for you and your routine. I mean, it seems like much of fitness is just that, right? It's all trial and error, just seeing what works for you because everybody's body is kind of different in that and all our schedules are different too. So I think that that's been your answer to a lot of things and that, that makes sense, right? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's really, there's some facts and then there's things that are up to how it works best for you, right? I mean, it's interesting because so the yeah. core principles of getting stronger and building muscles are the same no matter what. You know, if we if we perform surgery on someone, we know we're able to perform surgery because everyone's body is the same. You know, the heart is always going to be the same as someone else's heart, unless there's some sort of defect. You know, these things are like universal truths, and although their heart might beat faster than someone else's it's still the same heart. Because of that, the kind of process behind getting bigger, getting stronger, is always going to be the same. But when it comes to exercise selection or time of day, you know, exercise selection, anything from your leverages, long arms, short arms, or long legs, short legs, torso, you know, <laughs> stuff like that can affect the sort of exercises you have to pick just because some will be much better than others. You know, something could be like absolutely awful for you, for someone else, it could be the best thing in the world. And even though we have these global truths on how the processes work, just because of other differences that exist in the world, it does become super like malleable. Something that works optimally for an individual isn't gonna work optimally for a group. Right, yeah. That, uh... Yeah, that's a that's a very good way of putting it, actually. Yeah, a very acceptable way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do you think of like sports for maybe cardio or like what do you think some of the benefits are of doing sports like soccer, for example, that are competitive in team sports, right? I mean, I know that some some activities can definitely uh, be useful as cardio, especially sports. But what do you think are some other benefits and including cardiac benefits? When it comes to some of the benefits that you get from these social sports, the biggest one is, like, I grew up in England, so no matter what, during lunch, everyone's playing football. 
and you know after school again everyone's playing football they're going to like the local goals or something to continue playing it just because you have this massive group of people playing it gets super easy to stay consistent and not only that but it almost becomes a social expectation in a way where you know i'm gonna play football just because everyone else is and if it was something like running by myself am i gonna stick to it as efficiently like in periods where i'm not feeling too motivated to to run am i really gonna go on that run but then with this like group of friends i have am i gonna play football when it's like literally the only thing going on at lunch like yeah and of course a lot of that comes from like being young when you're at that age you don't have the discipline built up yet and it's still something you're trying to work on in your your own personal journey but something like that can definitely help at a young age and maybe even at a older age when you're kind of re-entering this journey finding a local like social sport or something like that where you can make new friends and have something which is giving you consistency through a group of people being there like uh <laughs> take those those stupid dumb like gym spin classes i think the only valid cardio is um hammer swinging have you seen the, that the treadmill <laughs> <Hammer swinging. No. laughs> you haven't seen hammer swinging it's mm-hmm. like uh it's not hammer swinging it's mace swinging i think it's macing mm-hmm. that's what it's called where you have a medieval mace and you're swinging it around oh that's cool okay let's continue yeah. For the next question, one that I personally am able to say that I have absolutely no idea what it means, uh, and which might be seen as shameful considering I've been working out for almost a year and a half now. I'm, I'm getting very close, right? Is what is RPE and does it matter for beginners? RPE? <laughs> um, it basically just means rate of perceived exertion. And it's it's an interesting metric um, based on like what sort of training you're doing. There's kind of different ways of describing it, but one to ten, easy to hard, is like the best way of describing it. A lot of people consider it as an antagonist, uh, as an antagonist to reps in reserve. So they'll say something like RPE ten is zero reps, uh, reps in reserve. You know, like zero reps you could possibly give further. Um, and like nine is one left, but depending on who you ask, it's not like a one-to-one thing. And there's a lot more kind of subtext there. I think it's interesting. Like if you're, you'll probably only want to use that sort of thing in strength training. You know, if a, if a rep feels difficult because you're weak or because of technical failure through like, you know, form breakdown, which is out of your control. You know, saying something like that was a six, you know, an RPE six can be a really good way of gauging what weight you need to use next or overall in your workouts for the weeks to come, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think it's too important of a metric when it comes to like bodybuilding just because of the goals kind of being different. But as a beginner, definitely for sure that sort of thing matters, especially if you're strength training. You know, anyone who wants to get into powerlifting or just to be as strong as possible. The programs you're going to follow will talk about RPE like all the time. And so you need to understand what that's like in your mind. And you also need to work out 
what each RP feels like. Because if it wants you to stick around RP5 and you're going at like RP9, you're almost giving it your all. The programs are built in such a way where they bear recovery in mind and fatigue in mind. And they balance these things where they don't want you giving that set RP9. They want it to be five because they chose five. So, you know, it's maybe not necessary for you, but if you are trying to go down that road, then definitely something to learn. Yeah. And to sum it up, bigger number means? Harder. Like the, okay, bigger number means harder. Got you. It's bigger, it's harder. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That, uh, I can't relate to that. Anyway. It's smaller, it's softer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Problem? And, okay. Yeah, for one of our last questions, and I think this one is one of the more important ones, is um, how do you stay consistent in the gym? Because it's it can really be a real struggle if you aren't really in the routine going and working out every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Consistency is, is hard of everything, but there are a few things we can do at the gym to kind of make it a bit easier. The first thing which you can kind of rely on is just just turn up because even if you even if you struggle with that sort of thing, as soon as you physically get in the gym, which is kind of like the most intimidating thing to do, the second you're there, you're going to do a workout. You, you know, the second you enter the building, you're like, okay, you know, it's, it's begun to worry about anything. But when you're focusing on if you should go on that given day, you know, you're kind of like analyzing everything that's going to happen in the workout. And due to that, you're just not going. So show up. There's different things though. Like we, we can implement more tactics. We can have a friend we go with. We can have someone who keeps us accountable. Uh, if we find someone who we're close with who has higher experience, they're going to typically tend to not hold you accountable as an accountability partner, but because they're like a mentor, they're kind of, you know, they have faith in you and you're trying to, you know, live up to their expectations. And through that, you can stay more consistent. And there's also things like, you know, joining a tribe where if you say, you know, like, you don't feel like going to a workout, everyone's going to shame you. <laughs> everyone's going to, you know, say, you know, you should re- you really should go. Just give it a go. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, Something like you're which, a weak, uh, you, want, you want to skip leg day, you're weak. <laughs> or something, you know, we, we might implement is um, some sort of like accountability where at the beginning of every month, you give me, you PayPal me $100. And if you miss a single day, you don't get it back. Sorry. But, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing you can run with like a friend <laughs> or like a family member where they're, they're holding your cash in escrow unless you stay consistent. I mean, for me, I would rather like get past something which I'm not very motivated to do if it means I don't lose a bunch of money, <laughs> you know? So at the kind of extreme end, we can implement strategies like that, especially if you're finding it super, super difficult. Right. And that goes back to the sports too, right? And that's accountability. And I, I want to touch on that for a second it's not exactly 
fitness related, but it can definitely help. Everything is kind of beneficial doing it with somebody else, right? And so what do you think the best way to find somebody who is motivated to work out and do good habits with you is, right? Where do you think somebody like that can even be found? In your immediate social circle, you have tons of potential people. Now, you can see if anyone is already really? doing those things. <laughs> you can you could see if anyone within the social cycle is already, you know, willing and able to do that sort of thing. If they're not, like mm. if there's no one you can find, you can try getting people into it. And if you can't get anywhere, you know, there's tons of online communities where you can find at least one person you get along with who's on the same journey as you. What's an online community that you would really, really recommend to people that could find for for self-improvers in particular to find like-minded individuals that are focused on self-improvement, right? That's a good question. I would recommend the David Goggins Discord. It's a... <laughs> no, no, I would... No, that's not in the script. <laughs> I would recommend just looking up... Um, you know, self-improvement servers or gym servers and you're going to start to find people there of course you know could plug the tribe and you know that is going to be like a great place you can go to but anywhere you go so long as there's an active community and there's people that you're going to do well although you know good call to action actionable step a super easy community to get into just because it's linked to here is going to be the tribe. So, you know, I'd be biased if I said I didn't want you in. <laughs> I'd be biased if I said I didn't want you in there. Yeah. So my final question for you before we can get into the Q&A and uh, outro is just what to do if you're not seeing any progress, because everybody's going to run into these roadblocks. Everybody's going to run into a stopping point in their journey but i mean the answer is to keep getting back up but what what do you do when you're not seeing the progress that you want to be seeing that's a good question and i think the first thing you have to kind of humble yourself with is you have to ask if you're just expecting too much from yourselves like of course expect the world but there are certain things which are just impossible like i'm not gonna put 100 kilograms onto my bench press in two weeks it's just not gonna happen as much as i'd love it to it's just not possible but we are able to identify potential issues and then find a fix something as simple as thinking "Hmm, i'm not getting too many results in my workout but my diet looks pretty accurate maybe my workout's the issue and then like doing a few google searches bit of research, asking some people for advice and turning things into something better. We're then able to to work out what maybe is limiting us. And I think most of this stuff comes from having a third party. You know, someone who's teaching you things that you don't know yet. Uh, maybe a channel which you can watch through and you find like ultimate guides on water or muscle gain or you know, the perfect workout. And when we start to add up this knowledge, we get to a place where you're able to prevent these kind of like plateaus. But if all else fails, go to poolfitness.com forward slash services. Pick a <laughs> Sorry? 
No, no, keep keep the plug. No, I did it. <laughs> you did. It's fine. The plug's done. <laughs> brother, brother waited like a like five days to plug the tribe, and he's like, "Well, yeah, if you're not seeing any pro." <laughs> My plugs are subtle, yeah. so um, I got to make sure that they approach naturally. Listen, I set you up for a plug. <laughs> it was the most subtle plug you could ever do. It was like, yeah, it was pretty forced. It was pretty forced. <laughs> we the, the 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 question was like the most forced question I've ever heard. I mean, we literally had like subtle <laughs> subtle implementations of the tribe like five times within the other questions, and then there was a question which is literally like. You know, if you had to pay someone money, who would you pay money to? And it's like, well, I would pay money to you because <laughs> that was. <laughs> but yeah. All right. So, my next question is: One liter of olive oil a healthy amount to drink? Not only is it healthy, but it is necessary. Any less, and I don't think you'd get the results you want. Right, right, right. I mean, honestly speaking, what is one liter of olive oil? It's only like eight thousand calories, right? It's not it's only one liter. Yeah, it's only one liter. <laughs> <laughs> You're hilarious, Fletcher. All right. Hey, the question is now. So, thanks for thanks for answering my questions. I'd like to move on to some of the chat questions we've had in this meantime, right? Oh, I guess and, so. Uh, yeah, I think it's about time we help out some of the righteous boys who've been here the since crabs. the start. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. The cr- <laughs> so, to start, we had this question quite a bit back. So the first question is, how do you get a work visa? <laughs> um usually i usually bribe them because like if you just talk to any small business owner you can convince them to letting you work for them on paper if they sponsor your work visa and then you know you just give them a little bit of cash and you get to to work openly in the country without having to do much right 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 I actually do have a question on that, unrelated, and we can go ahead and talk about that later. Uh, so moving on with our first viewer question from the tribe. Uh, again, you guys can go ahead and ask some of these yourself if you're present while we're doing the live recording here and have any of your questions answered by people that are experienced, like Fletcher, in fitness in this case, but in some other times it might be mental health or anything like that. So our first question is, what do you think of Tom Platt's leg day. I think no one ever has finished Tom Platt's leg day. I believe Tom Platt's has not finished his leg day. I think people will make a big deal about the leg day and how they want to do it. But what they don't understand is when you do Tom Platt's leg day, it's something which has like 30 sets. Well, I think it may be more. Something which has a ridiculous amount of sets isn't going to give you good growth to the point where the only thing you really do gain from this workout is like fatigue. And because of that, the only way to perform Tom Platz's leg day 
which is also the way it's supposed to be performed, is if you truly take every set of failure like it's intended. If you don't do that, then you're not getting the only benefit you get from this workout. And it's discipline, like building better discipline, potentially better work capacity and cardio, but just learning how to push through grinds when your body is filled with so much pain. And people who are like, can I do Tom Plus's leg day? Anyone who does that, a majority of them aren't, I say a majority, no one is taking every single step to failure and everyone is giving up. Those who completed Tom Platz's leg day weren't training hard. Like I've spoken to people who have been actively doing it whilst messaging on Discord, even though one of uh, Tom Platz's like core tenants when it comes to squatting is that the only thing that can be on your mind is the barbell and the squat rack. You're not even allowed to touch a phone. You're not even allowed to like write things down. That's off limits. And so if you're doing Tom Platz's leg day and you're messaging in a Discord server about it, then one, you're not even like following the way you're supposed to do like the first exercise in it. But two, when you write how you're you're matching the reps in each set, and even to a point where like let's say the fifth set is the same as the first set reps, but this specific person I'm like recalling performed more uh, more reps in his fifth than his first set. Like if you're doing this, you're not pushing yourself hard. You're not trying to failure. You're not doing Tom Platz's leg day. You're just doing a bunch of junk volume. With going to failure, there's always that risk of form failure first, right? So what failure are you going to be actually aiming for? Form failure or general failure, right? Because I've heard, uh, I know a lot of people that will always want to go to general failure, but there's really no benefit to that. Is there, if your form has already given up before that, actually, there may be some risk to that, right? Not really. <laughs> um, kind of like the opposite. The the risk of injury when you're going to like muscular failure is actually a lot lower than people realize. Um, and alongside I, that, I mean, I mean, form like, failure, right? No, I I know. That's what I mean by muscular okay. failure. Like form failure is where what is usually called technical failure, where you can't produce like a full rep anymore. And then muscular is like when you can't even do the micro reps anymore. Uh, the the injury risks when you're going to like muscular failure. Usually, people who train that way do less overall volume because you have to. <laughs> you know, not only do you get like a better stimulus, but you'd be so fatigued from doing too much that you just you'd have to do less anyway. Um, alongside that, you're you're building your joints to be stronger than they are. And because you're doing less overall volume, you're giving less potential opportunities to injure yourself. The thing that typically injures someone is not not being able to complete a rep, but performing a rep with form which is dangerous. So if I failed a squat and then I started doing some like quarter squats from that deep squat position, that's fine. If my squatting became really lopsided when I tried to go to the like go up, that's when it becomes dangerous. All right. Yeah, I definitely I understand. So it's when your form failure goes beyond form and you're just uh you're pushing to a point where you aren't able to 
like you're generally risking to hurt yourself by not even using the muscle anymore. Right? Yeah, like when you're compensate. when you're doing those mini reps, you've got to keep the form pure, even though it won't be a complete rep. Right. Yeah. I get you. I get you. So our next question uh, from Mr. Spiffy in the chat is, is calisthenics a legitimate possibility for strength building? I think it is. Of course, when it comes to building strength, you're kind of just working on getting stronger with the movement and, you know, there'll be carryover to just overall strength. Of course, a lot of people consider this as like bench squat deadlift and those are seen as like the common strength builders and they will, but calisthenics gives you the ability to get stronger with your own body weight and also start loading on stuff there. And, you know, maybe you add in gym rings and you have a potential of so many more movements you can do. And I think strength training through calisthenics gives you more of a ability to control every single portion of a movement. And, you know, you could pause there or you can do some really like incredible tricks almost, which require a lot of core stability and just control over tiny little muscles. But then take a great bencher or a great squatter or a great deadlifter. They probably wouldn't be able to just freeze in portions of the range in the same way. Strength is kind of like extremely relative, but you can definitely get very, very strong doing calisthenics. Yeah, that's. Um... That's the thing that inspired me to do gym rings, actually, what you were saying. Uh, if anybody here listening, I do gym ring workouts. And uh, um, as Fletcher has just said, they I generally just like being able to really just stop in the middle of the movement and not risk hurting myself to an extreme degree, right? Mm-hmm. From lack of stability and such. And so uh to to ask your next question is what is one tip you can give for just being able to work out regularly and this one is coming from ghoul in the chat working out regularly i think you have to work out a number which is the minimum you can work out in a week and that is your goal with your split if that number is free you have a three-day split if it's four you have a four-day split there is literally no point in committing to like a six-day split when you're under the impression that you can only work out three days a week, like you can physically get there, you're not busy or whatever. And then over time, we can start increasing the days, but you just want to do what you know you can do instead of forcing yourself to do too much and then not doing it. Right, right. Yeah. I think consistency is definitely key. So as long as you're able to get to the gym every day, then you will be doing what you need to be doing. And last question to the gym. Can you, so for our last question is, do you recover faster by taking a cold shower after the gym? And this one is from Stefan again. And so, uh, yeah. That's a good question. And a lot of people see Cold showers are something which would do that. Thing is, cold showers are only really good when there's been a distance between that that workout, you know, that damage and also that stimulus. 
and the shower itself. So like next day, eight hours or something. It's just when it's in such a close distance, not only are we removing a ton of inflammation, which is short term, which will lead to just worse recovery because we're getting rid of all the natural processes which are in place to literally heal something. You know, when you are inflamed, it's because it's putting blood there, it's putting resources there. You don't want to reduce it. But you're also messing with some of the metabolic signaling for muscle growth or strength increases. And you're also ending up getting less out of the workout. So overall, not that great. <laughs> you know, just just have a cold shower the next day. Yeah. Huh. All right. And how much we won't have to wait then? Like eight hours? Is that enough? Yeah, I think that's a good amount of time. I mean, I'd prefer I'd prefer if if it was like after a sleep, you know, um, because that's when right. a lot of the healing is going to occur. But yeah, as long as we're there's a, go a big distance after. Yeah, we're just going to go to bed all sweaty, though. And then a like room temperature shower that wouldn't have any effect because that's not cold, right? I mean, room temperature or hot shower, like people, people love cold showers because they're, they're seen as like a sexy thing, right? Like it builds discipline. You're kind of fighting something you don't want to do, but people neglect that warm showers have like just as many benefits and having both of them is going to be the best thing. Right. All right. I think that'll, that'll be good for now. Right. Yeah. I have a. I'm very happy that you came here today and that you were our guest today. You gave me a lot of insight myself and I know our viewers from home are gonna, and listeners are really going to appreciate some of the things you said. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for being our guest today, Fletcher. It's fine, man. I'll catch you in the Fortnite lobby later. <laughs> <laughs> man, these Fortnite metaphors.